0: Welcome to the Burnt Creator Podcast, a resting place for creators who want to overcome and prevent burnout while gaining valuable insights on how to cultivate peace, clarity, and wealth in their lives. I'm your host, Ashley Warren, and I'm so honored to connect with you. This is a community for anyone and everyone with a desire to bring something meaningful into existence. Join us as we explore our deepest selves and our truest potential. Last week, I shared with you my season one and my season two of life, reality TV and failure. If you haven't checked out that episode yet, pause right now and listen to episode one, or else none of this is going to make sense. If you have heard episode one, get ready for our final season that led me here with you. Welcome to my season three of life, suicide. Now, I want to issue a trigger warning for anyone and everyone. This segment does contain discussions of suicide. So if you or someone you know is struggling, please visit wantotalkaboutit.com or samaritans.org for help. Honestly, I barely survived the worst season of my life physically, spiritually, financially, mentally, all of it. I've never experienced such intense, prolonged stress before in my life. Just the burdens of self loathing and the feeling that I was failing, my company was failing, was totally unbearable. And during this dramatic period of my life, everything changed. You know, I felt utterly worthless from May 20th, 2022 to April 2nd, you know, 2023. There were maybe 10 days in that year almost where I didn't fixate on ending my life. This relentless, deep sadness, this emptiness, this hopelessness that I had inside of me just followed me wherever I went, whatever I was doing. It was like the heaviest weight, constantly pressing down on me making it hard to just function in my day-to-day life you know people with depression often feel detached from the world around them as if they are observing everything from a distance rather than fully experiencing it and I can attest that is 100% the truth if you've never experienced that for yourself you know I was just trapped I felt like in this dark and lonely place with no way out Even the smallest tasks like getting out of bed, showering, eating, walking, working felt like insurmountable challenges for me to take on. All I really know about that time in my life is that I did the best that I could during that season. I worked on a lot of new things that I had high expectations for that I just could not sustain from a business standpoint. And because of that, you know, I took on some terrible business loans because it was the only way that I could pay for everything and everyone fully at that time. And as my physical and mental health declined, I couldn't afford the daily loan payments that were required for those loans, which only significantly added to my stress, my physical pain, and my hopelessness. And if you've ever been in a situation where you cannot pay a loan, these people are fucking brutal. (laughs) Like they are not nice. They will harass you. They will call you nonstop. They will threaten you in a way, you know, as far as they can legally and just make you feel like your life is basically going to be over if you cannot pay them back their loans. And for me, it was a hefty fee every month that I had to pay them on top of what I had to pay myself in order to live. And that was just basically covering my rent and food and then my people and everything in between that it costs to run an agency. You, I mean, if you've never run an agency, it is expensive. And everything I felt, you know, in this new season of my life, it really just all added up. And in that time I could just feel myself just slowly and quickly disappearing, like I, I didn't recognize who I was, and depression will do that. In his book, "Reasons to Stay Alive," Matthew Haig explains that depression is one of the deadliest diseases on the planet. It kills more people than any form of violence that includes warfare, terrorism, domestic abuse, assault and gun crime combined. Matthew goes on to say that people still don't fully grasp the severity of depression if they themselves have never truly experienced it. And I really feel like I agree with him here. He says if they did, people wouldn't say things like, come on, I know you've got tuberculosis, but it could be worse. At least no one died. Or why do you think you got cancer of the stomach? Or, oh, you've got Alzheimer's. Tell me all about it. I get that all the time too. Or oh, meningitis, come on, it's just mind over matter. It's crazy. If people actually knew the severity of what they were saying, I feel like they wouldn't say it, you know? And thankfully, I had a best friend who knew what to say and how to show up when I needed it most. You know, I decided to start antidepressants for the first time in my life around Christmas 2022. I knew deep down that I didn't want to end my life, but I just saw no way forward through the pain. So I tried to get help to push through. And I remember I found out about it through like a telehealth company ad on Instagram for antidepressants. So, you know, I click the link, I answer their questions online and I was diagnosed with severe depression, anxiety, which is like, oh my gosh, surprise, surprise. And they prescribed me 10 milligrams of escitalopran. Uh, and I took that consistently for about three weeks. And in that time, Any doctor will tell you, like, it's not really doing anything yet. It's like all placebo. So one night, I actually felt a little better for the first time in a while. However, it was that exact night that my life changed forever. On January 13th of this year, at around 2 a.m., I was sleeping. I woke up and I was experiencing what seemed to be a stroke like episode for the first time in my life. My body jerked uncontrollably from my core and my legs. I was sweating. I had double vision. I could barely talk. I couldn't feel my right arm or my leg and I couldn't stand still. One of my best friends who happened to be staying with me, thank God, heard me and rushed in. She thought I was having a stroke and begged me to agree to go to the hospital. I said no because the drinking had stopped. It went on for about, you know, 15, 20 minutes. I went back to bed because I really, really didn't think I was having a stroke. I'm 31 years old or at that point, 30. And a few hours later, I woke up. And the jerk started again. So she took me to the hospital and I have never been admitted to a hospital faster in my entire life. Like I played sports, broken bones, whatever. And (laughs) I think I sat in the waiting room for a total of 45 seconds. They admitted me right there and took my blood work and they just weren't sure if I was having or if I had a stroke earlier and that, you know, I needed serious medical attention. So they took me right there. And they performed a CAT scan, blood work, an EKG, and x-rays, all of which were totally normal. So they suspected it could be serotonin syndrome because I had just started antidepressants. So they told me to immediately stop taking those. And I couldn't get an EEG that day or that weekend due to the hospital being short-staffed. So I decided to schedule that outpatient with a neurologist because I was not trying to stay in the hospital for like five days for no reason. Then there was nothing else that they could do for me. Unfortunately, that appointment didn't happen until about two weeks later. The jerks continued daily, multiple times. The episodes were pretty aggressive during that time in my life. It didn't matter if I was relaxing, working, talking, sitting, sleeping, my body would just like jerk and it was so draining. And I would typically get like a really bad headache and nausea right before the episode would happen. And so, like, I knew it was coming. And after each episode, Like the body fatigue was unlike anything I'd ever experienced, making work pretty much impossible. After January 13th, my word recall was terrible. Like I couldn't remember basic words to communicate what I was trying to say to anyone. And I would often lose my balance when I would like get up and try to stand. And I just wasn't myself. So I saw the neurologist three times. He wanted to rule out epilepsy. And he was positive that I didn't have serotonin syndrome and just wasn't sure if I didn't have epilepsy. Right. And so I had a 30 minute EEG in his office that was totally clean. And then I had a three day at home EEG, and that consisted of video monitoring and brainwave monitoring. And all of that came back normal. He told me he was confident that I didn't have epilepsy and suggested that I schedule an appointment with a neuropsychologist to determine any medical reasons for these episodes because he was at a loss. So he ordered this thing called a neuropsychological evaluation, and that helps basically assess the extent and nature of any impairments that I have and then also helps to like shed light on any possible issues that scans can't detect. And I realized that stress can do horrible things to your body and this, much to my surprise, is one of them. <laughs> and, you know, I I knew things didn't feel right in my body, but I think to a degree I just didn't take it super serious. So I decided to hold off on the psych evaluation for another few weeks and really just decided if, like, this would pass on its own, if I could monitor my stress myself and just kind of, like, chill out. Things should be fine. And so I do that. I do my best to decrease my stress levels. Life feels lighter in many ways. And, you know, a month goes by and an ambulance was sent to my home after I had a severe episode, like just out of nowhere. One evening, I was talking to my best friend and suddenly I felt like I was going to faint. And she tried to help me get back to my bed, but I couldn't walk. And I just randomly passed out in the hallway. And when I regained consciousness, I had double vision like before and black bars. I couldn't really see. And then now the new symptom was I couldn't breathe. And that's when I started to get really scared because I'm like, holy shit, am I dying? Like, I can't breathe. What is happening? And I would kept slipping in and out of consciousness. And I remember coming to and I needed to go to the bathroom. And I felt like I need to go right now, but I can't walk. So I crawled and eventually I just passed out again in the bathroom. And so she's like, this is crazy. (laughs) Like, we got to call an ambulance. So she calls 911. The paramedics show up and I am coherent to most degrees at that point. They gave me some fluids in the ambulance and, you know, they were really cool. Actually, they said, honestly, you've had all the testing that you could possibly get. They're probably not going to do much for you at the ER, but this could be one of those like crazy medical mysteries. And like, you know, I hope you figure out what's happening and like keep your head up. And it's really super cool, guys. And that's pretty much what happened. I went to the ER and they told me that there was nothing they could do since I had already had every test that they would perform at the ER and like the ER is really not the place for this kind of stuff, which I respected and that they didn't like keep me there and make me spend our money on tests that I already had and I didn't need. So I went home feeling totally defeated, realizing this wasn't going to get fixed overnight or really anytime soon and had this heart to heart with myself, realizing like I can no longer afford my living situation and I didn't have the energy to take on more clients or really, you know, manage the ones that I had. and. I needed to move. <laughs> and it was painful. It was emotionally just so painful because I'm a very independent person. I had worked so fucking hard to get to where I was to have the place that I had. And in less than three weeks, I had to move out of my penthouse and stay with my best friend. I sold almost literally everything that I owned for under $2,000. That's also painful because there just wasn't room for it at her place. And I didn't want to put everything in storage, given the uncertainty of my health and what felt like, you know, my life, honestly, at that point. And I was just so over the experience that like, I didn't want anything associated with what was happening to me to be in my possession anymore, it felt like. And so I sold everything that I could and anything that I couldn't, I just gave it away. And at my lowest point, you know, I thought I really wasn't going to make it the next morning. I was like, I cannot do this. Tonight is it. But I told myself, go to bed and see how you feel tomorrow morning. Feelings fade. Life moves forward. And it did. I woke up still depressed, but I remembered I could and should schedule a neuropsychological evaluation like my doctor suggested. So I did. If you're unfamiliar with what a neuropsychological evaluation is, like I was, It's a comprehensive assessment of an individual's cognitive, emotional, and behavioral functioning. And it's typically conducted by like a neuropsychologist or a clinical psychologist that specializes in neuropsychology. The evaluation is used to identify strengths and weaknesses in various cognitive domains like attention, memory, language, executive functioning, and perceptual motor skills as well as emotional and behavioral functioning. So basically, it's everything that scans can't pick up, right? Scans and lab testing can't pick up. The only evaluation that I could get, that I could find in New York City and Jersey that didn't cost over $7,000 out of pocket, even with good insurance, was in Rockaway. And that is far, (laughs) and still costs me $1,000 out of pocket. So yeah, God bless the American health system, right? So I booked it and had a series of calls that basically led to this exam. And I'll kind of explain how it all works. So a neuropsychological exam consists generally of three appointments that are spread over the course of a couple of weeks. And in my case, it was three weeks. My journey began with a train ride from the city to Rockaway for a clinical interview. So that was the first thing I did. And the neuropsychologist gathered information about my medical history, my current symptoms, and any relevant psychological and social factors that could be contributing to my difficulties in that interview. Then two days later, I had to come back for my three-hour assessment with a clinical psychologist who then administered a series of standardized questions and rating scales to assess my emotional and behavioral functioning. The core of that evaluation involved a battery of standardized neuropsychological tests, that were designed to measure like various aspects of my cognitive functioning. And it took forever. My brain hurt very much so afterwards. So these tests assess my attention, my working memory, my verbal and nonverbal learning, my long-term memory, my language, my visuospatial skills, my reasoning, problem solving, and processing speed. And in addition to the standardized tests, the evaluation also included more specialized assessments of my sensory processing, my motor coordination and my executive functioning. So, once I completed this, it took me about like two hours and like 45 minutes, something like that. I was free to go. And then three weeks later, I had to hop back on the train for my in person overview of my results, which was very, very interesting. So, the neuropsychologist provided me with this very extensive, written, comprehensive report that summarized my strengths, my weaknesses. And also identified any cognitive or emotional deficits or impairments that I had, and then she offered recommendations for intervention or treatment plan, right? So she starts by explaining her analysis of the results of my assessments, along with a review of my medical records, my brain imaging studies, and any kind of relevant information that helped her interpret my test results. So in a nutshell, her diagnosis is that I have an unspecified neurocognitive disorder, And at that moment, a major depressive disorder, which is just a fancy way of saying neurologically speaking, nothing can be fully ruled in or ruled out in regards to my health. And that my current profile is notable for frontal lobe and subcortical inefficiencies with primary weakness in complex attention, executive functioning and variable processing speed and working memory, which is unfortunate because it impacts other areas of my cognition. And that was interesting and also awesome in a way to find out to know that it's like just not all in your head like you're not just like so stressed that it's creating the appearance of an issue and that there's actually an issue and so that sucked to hear but felt good to hear in a weird way too and she also told me that my memory emerged as an area of difficulty in the testing and that likely impacted my executive functioning weaknesses and disorganization Specifically, when I was presented with non-contextual verbal information, I exhibited impairments at the level of learning, at the level of recall, recognition, and had many intrusion errors. So yeah, it was a lot to process in that meeting. And her recommendations for treatment for that are as follows. So she stated that my present exam should be used as a baseline for my neuropsychological functioning and that a full workup to assess the organic and reversible causes of my cognitive functioning is needed and that I should be reevaluated by a neuropsychologist in one year. She also said that I would benefit from combined cognitive behavioral therapy and medical approaches and for tasks that required attentional demands I should allocate time accordingly to enhance, you know, my accuracy and efficiency. She said that I should also take frequent breaks when engaging in such tasks so that I can manage the adequate level of cognitive resources that I have and maximize my task efficiency. She said I should also reduce my multitasking. I should eliminate or minimize external distractions to the extent possible at that time in my life. I should reduce clutter and environmental noises in my life, and I should create structure and routine in my daily life. She also said that I should prioritize physical exercise for at least 20 minutes a day, keep a healthy Mediterranean-style diet for brain health, engage in social activity, restful sleep, and if I can't sleep within 20 minutes of going to bed, I should get up and go do something relaxing like listening to music or reading in low light before trying to fall asleep again to prevent tossing and turning, which I do a lot of. So basically, those recommendations are my day-to-day life now while my stress levels have definitely improved i still you know have symptoms occasionally flu and episodes are pretty rare now but i you know they're still unpredictable i'm definitely still trying to figure out what this is and although i feel a lot of it is stress related i have decided just not to let it control my life right like i have to get back to me and i think that i'm i'm doing that so i realize like what i can do is take care of my mental health by you know going to therapy and practicing meditation, put good things into my body. I hit the gym four to five times a week while eating pretty healthy and I can enjoy my life again with my loved ones. I can keep good humans in my life. That's what I can control. And that's how I find peace. So for the sake of my health, when it comes to work, I'll only do what I truly love going forward. And that is just like so serious for me from a health standpoint, from a peace standpoint, I just have to do that. And that includes supporting creator mental health to help you maximize your inner peace, clarity, and personal wealth. I don't want anyone to be here. I don't want anyone to feel what I feel. And the things that people feel, you know, that are even crazier than what I've gone through, I don't want them to feel that either. (laughs) And so I'm like, how can we help each other not be burned out? That's my my goal in life. And I really want to teach creators how to continually increase their brand value. You know, that's another side. Without courses, without masterminds, without books, because most people don't have time or investment for that. I feel so seriously about that. And it's already been proven that only 11% of people actually complete courses anyway. So I'm listening to what you're saying. I hear you. I get it. You don't want that stuff. And I don't want to be a part of that problem. It's time consuming, anyways. Like, why do it if you're not going to actually learn that way? So I want to listen (laughs) better, you know? And I'll also consult and partner with brands I believe in at a rate that reflects my worth. That is my commitment to myself going forward. Doing what I love doesn't mean it never frustrates me anymore or that I don't sometimes wish I was a billionaire who didn't have to work another day in my life. Obviously, it does mean that even if I had all the money in the world, I would still be doing this with peace in my heart because it's a part of who I'm supposed to be. I would be so bored without this. I would feel like I would have no purpose. I've learned a lot. Of things that I thought I knew two years ago that I definitely didn't know. I still feel like an infant in so many ways. You know, I don't know much about life, but I can share the experiences and knowledge I have to help someone else who's at their lowest low. I'll do my best to support my community in the ways that I can. And where I can't, I'll find someone else to bring into our fold to best serve you. You know, it's such a beautiful feeling to feel free, to put everything on the table, and to have no hidden shame. I've honestly never felt better than sharing this moment with you because we set our own limits. Tapping into that truth helped me become more resilient and realize that I should be so proud of what I've accomplished, not because it's impressive, but because I have fulfilled my purpose for that season of my life. And that season inspired the path I'm on now. You know, I can't pinpoint the exact day the old me died. It started with a thought that turned into an action that eventually became a believable path for me. And everything isn't perfect now. I don't feel perfect. Everything will never be perfect. I don't think it'll be perfect for anyone ever. Life is never perfect, but it has a way of leading you to your path. And it's up to us to choose to walk it. Those chosen steps turn into seasons and every season is different yet somewhat similar, right? You know, Each season has a beginning and an end. And as Maya Angelou once said, every storm runs out of rain. I've wanted to end my life more days in the past year than I wanted to be alive, but I came out reborn. And for me now, it's all about purpose over profit. Life is too short, you know, like we get on average 4,000 weeks and that just, that's terrifying. Like, I don't want to waste them. I don't want to lose them. I refuse to spend them stressed out and looking for a way out of this life. I just won't do that. Failing flat on my face turned out to be the best gift I could have ever received. I am so grateful for failure because it brought me here. And sure, I still have my down days, but overall, I'm in a much better place. I've rediscovered who I am and even better who I'm becoming. And right now, I'm living with joy. And on those tough days when happiness seems out of reach because I'm human. I remind myself of all the meaningful memories, the loved ones in my life, and that my life is not for nothing. I've found joy, purpose, and love before, and I'll find them again if I don't feel like I have them in this moment. Why am I telling you all of this? Because I know who I'm talking to. I'm at least talking to one person. You've been filling your head with self-doubt, telling yourself you can't do it, no one will buy it, no one wants to sign up, you'll fail, you can't afford it, blah, 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 blah. You're fed up with your dreams, and you just wish they would leave you alone, and you feel like you don't have the emotional or physical strength to continue with this, or maybe even life. I'm here to say that I understand, even when your friends and family might not. Being understood is such a powerful gift, and right now, you might be going through the worst times of your life, and I'm not going to pretend like I know it's for some grand reason, but I've been where you are, battling those dark thoughts and feeling like I've given up on my life and destiny countless times. There's no reason for that other than to derail you from your path. You might be feeling lost and unsure of where your life is heading but you have to stop that now. You just do. Your dreams won't leave you alone because you're meant to live them out. They're not going to. And I know this because my calling, I feel part of it is to encourage you to do so. Our lives are intertwined now. Call it a trauma bond, call it whatever you want, but I want to call it a purpose bond. We're family now. We'll endure hardship together so we can rise up and become who we're truly meant to be. Creators of lives filled with meaning, influence, and financial significance. I believe that for all of us. This podcast is simply just a journey for people just like you and me. Stop doubting yourself. You were meant to create. You just were. Deep down, you know it's your purpose to build things that make an impact. Your purpose, the universe, and even God aren't working against you. They're setting you up to win and to reach your intended path. But you cannot get there with all these crippling distractions, the painful internal thoughts, and the doubts from yourself, your friends, your family, community, or even total strangers. Hashtag the internet. It's not possible. Something will give under all that pressure you pay attention to. And most of the time, it'll be you if you can't refocus and believe in yourself again. Even if it's just for a little while, try to focus on the beautiful truth that you once believed in. You're a creator capable of producing amazing things that bring joy to you and to others. Deep down, you know that's true. Otherwise, you wouldn't have started in the first place. So today, just choose one thing to help you reconnect with that truth even if it's only for 15 minutes. And that's where I started. Devote those 15 minutes entirely to your purpose. Do the things that you would do if your life wasn't falling apart. You know, throughout our journeys, we encounter different versions of ourselves. We meet our strong, confident, and clear-focused selves, but we also encounter our weaker selves who lack focus and confidence and a clear path forward. That's just a part of life. But be cautious of who you let into your heart and mind during those vulnerable times. Your fearful and distracted mind wants to dwell on everything that's going wrong, preventing you from achieving anything meaningful and straying you from your path that is meant for you. Learning to silence your weaker self and anything or anyone who feeds that destructive state will be one of the bravest things you ever do. And when you do it, DM me, because I want to hear about it. Because those feelings are addictive. They can become addictive, but don't let your mind deceive you into believing fear is all that you can achieve. It's not true. If you're someone who's been too afraid to start or has been burned by self-doubt, this message is for you too. You share the same purpose and dream, even if you haven't lived it yet. Let it come alive. Discouragement is a disease that can destroy you if left unchecked, I promise you. Ask yourself, what would you do if you knew without a doubt that everything would work out? Go do that. Dreams and purpose do not die on their own. We let our own discomfort create fear, and that fear fuels discouragement which in turn sets our faith, our joy, our dreams, and our purpose ablaze. Everyday circumstances just light that match. We have to break the cycle. Operating on purpose shouldn't depend solely on when you're feeling like it's working. Embrace a new mindset, the truth. You can and you will be the creator you once believed in because you'll make it happen. Life isn't just about feelings. I wish they taught us that more in school. It's about feeling forward towards purpose and freedom. The Burnt Creator Podcast is where I share my insights as a once-burnt creator, stories of others who can relate, and interviews with professionals who can help us never return to those dark places, as we strive for a life of purpose mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. In two weeks, I'm going to share with you this creator affirmation that I created during my lowest low, and honestly, it played a crucial role in my journey from being broken, broke, suicidal, and defeated. To a whole, happy, grateful creator growing more fulfilled mentally, financially, emotionally, and spiritually with each day passing. This affirmation changed my life. And it's what I tell myself every morning and night. And truly, this practice transformed my life. And I'm not a person before this that actually believed in the power of using affirmations. And I'm really hopeful that it will transform your life too. But before I end today's episode, I really do want to speak to those of you in a dark place right now because there might be someone who's listening and you know what I'm talking about. I want you to hear it from someone who's made it through. You'll find your peace again. You'll find your joy, your purpose, your path, love, and your community. All of that, you'll find it again. You will. Every storm in your life will eventually run out of rain. Remember, you don't have to fight your way through it. You can rest your way through it. You can last. You can stay. It might seem impossible now, but feelings fade while the truth will always remain. And the truth is you're meant to endure and you're meant to stay. So please stay. And if you need help to keep going, text HOME to 741-741 from anywhere in the U.S., anytime, or call 988. It does get better, my friend. I'm living proof. I remember when I thought that was just a cliche, but it's not. If you can't find the faith to believe that for yourself right now, let me believe it for you. So there you have it, guys. The last two years of my life distilled into three seasons of the launch of the Burnt Creator podcast. My journey has been a roller coaster, but I've chosen to share it with you every high, every low, because I believe in the power of authenticity and honesty. I want to create a genuine connection with you, my fellow creators, and I want to offer support and encouragement along the way for your own journey. My hope is that by opening up about my experiences, my struggles, my triumphs, that I can inspire you to embrace your own creative path, and to find strength in vulnerability. Together, we can navigate this ever-evolving landscape of what it means to be a creator and learn from one another and grow as we go. So thank you so much for being a part of my journey. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of yours. And remember, we're in this together. So let's keep creating. Let's keep connecting. Let's keep moving forward. Thank you so much for tuning in to Burn Creator. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Reach out to me on Instagram at underscore Ashley Warren and on TikTok at Burnt Creator. I'll see you back here in two weeks. Same time, same place, friends. Thank you for listening. Be well.